Yeah, we're going to be in Genesis 12, and then if you get a, a finger in uh, Hebrews 11, that might be worth having available to you as well, because I'm going to read from, from there too. There we go. There we go. Wonderful, yeah. I'm James, if you've not met before, one of the leaders uh, here at Life Church Beckles. It's good to have you with us. Just one other thing to kind of add to what Chris has said is that um, we let you know in e-news just that next Sunday, uh, Peter, on behalf of trustees, is going to give a bit of an update of our financial situation, and then I'm going to talk a bit about giving. Um, so just so that you know, if you're thinking of inviting friends and family, neighbours and so on, that it's going uh, be a little bit more of a, a kind of sharing for us as church family where we're up to and what's ahead of us, um, just so that you're aware it'll be a slightly different Sunday um, to usual. Um, we're in this uh, series um, called Faith for Life. I've recommended a couple of books before, just to flash them before your eyes again. Uh, we've recommended this one, Faith for Life by Richard Koken. It's a really excellent uh, read. And just, uh, it's very accessible, um, lots of stories, really dead easy book to read. Uh, this one's probably a little bit less accessible, but really great content. It's by Peter Lewis called God's Hall of Fame, uh, based on Hebrews 11. So recommend those two if you're looking for a book to read alongside the series. I told you, uh, I think, uh, a couple of weeks ago, that my favourite genre of film is biography. And in Hebrews 11, we get these series of mini-biographies that give us um, an idea of the lives of just ordinary people who had faith in God and where that took them. And today, we're having a look at the story of Abraham. Um, Because walking the Christian life can be tricky at times, can't it? Um, Just when you become a Christian, you don't become immune to suffering and setbacks, struggles and periods of stagnation. Uh, Those things uh, still go on, and we need something to encourage us, to give us confidence in God, and to not get lazy or sluggish in our walk with him. Um, But we need people to imitate, to learn from, as we walk through life. And so these mini-biographies will give us pictures of these folks, who ordinary people like you and I, who had faith in God and did great things. Um, so that we can imitate them and learn from them. And as I said, today we're looking at Abraham. Uh, So we're in Genesis uh, 12, verses 1 to 9. And it says this. Uh, Now the Lord said to Abraham, that was Abraham's uh, name, it changes later on, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I'll make of you a great nation and I will bless you. And make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whom who dishonours you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so, Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham uh, Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham, Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent 
with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And they built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. That's the start of this, uh, Abraham's story of the call of God, the experience. And then we read this in uh, Hebrews 11, reflecting back on Abraham's story. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah uh, herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, Abraham Abraham and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having promised, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from far off. Uh, from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one, and therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. In uh, Romans, uh, Paul's writing the church, uh, to the church in Rome, and he describes Abraham as the father of all who believe. So what can we learn from Abraham Uh, or Father Abraham. Three things um, just this morning. The first is that we can know that life is a tent. Hence hence the prop. (laughs) I wonder, are you a happy camper? Do you like camping? Lots of shakes of the heads. Lots of... uh... Oh yeah, when I was, as I was growing up, the kind of family holidays we went on were, it was like a Christian hotel and conference centre in Devon, and uh, it was half board, so it was a nice bedroom. I, when I was a teenager, I got a single room all to myself, with bathrooms down the end of the corridor, you know, before the ensuite was everywhere. And, uh, and then we'd get like two meals a day, a breakfast that was a buffet, so of course you eat breakfast and lunch together at that meal, to see you through to dinner, so you don't have to do anything for lunch pop a toaster in our room just in case and then have dinner in the evening and there were all the comforts you know there were lounges you could sit and watch the cricket all day which we often did we'd play card games go swimming play out on sports out on the on the lawn that's was that was our family holiday uh, i didn't grow up camping at all my, my early experiences of camping were negative ones i won't describe why they were negative but they left scars <laughs> those kind of experiences and so when Jess suggested for Honeymoon James let's go camping around Europe oh that's an interesting idea oh. anyway she managed to twist my arm and we went camping around Europe for three weeks and we had a great time and now our summer holiday every year as a family is camping for two weeks in Wales uh, which is a very dry warm sunny country if you've ever been there so I wonder if whether you're a happy camper, because camping means kind of loosening your attachments, doesn't it, to some of the home comforts that you enjoy normally. 
doesn't it? You have to leave things behind. And in this passage, Abraham has to loosen his attachment to things that he's been used to and leave them behind. He uh, loosens his attachment to Ur, the place where he lives. He lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. And uh, he leaves behind its luxuries to live in a tent. Just to kind of give you a bit of a picture of how big a deal that was, Ur of the Chaldees was probably the biggest, wealthiest, and most luxurious city, and most civilized city in the world at Abraham's time. It was the kind of place where you moved to, not from. You know, immigration was high, emigration was low. If you got a house in Ur, it was a keeper. It was kind of, I'm sticking there. It was, uh, it was the place to move to. And archaeology shows us that it was quite an incredible place. And that's the place that Abraham gets called to leave behind. And so when Abraham gets called, he gets called to live in a tent as opposed to that. And that's the call that God uh, makes to him. And basically what God's saying is, Abraham, trust me. You'd be better off living in a tent in a foreign land, moving from place to place, than you will be all of this wealth that you have here in Ur. And, uh, and so Abraham trusts God. The tent meant embracing a sense of the temporary, that life wouldn't be so fixed and settled, but he was embracing the temporary. He lived like a stranger in the places where he moved to. Um, he wasn't buying property, the places where they ended up finding themselves. They didn't buy property. They didn't invest in the world. They, didn't, they weren't desperate to fit in. They didn't settle. They didn't put down roots. So they were content to essentially camp in tents. And so to live by faith through life means to be a happy camper, as it were. That doesn't mean you should all go on holiday in tents. That's not the application. But that we're all to be happy campers through this life, that there's something temporary, that life to us is essentially a tent, that we're to hold this life loosely and all the stuff that comes with it, that in this earthly life we don't try and put roots down to settle here, to fit in, to be, but be content to camp here in this earthly life while it lasts, living like strangers, not always feeling at home in our earthly life, knowing that it's only for a time and then it will be gone. And so Jesus says to us, doesn't he, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where things are destroyed and they rot and they rust, but lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Invest there. Put your roots down in heaven. That's home. That's where you belong. You're a citizen of heaven. That's where you fit in, as it were. And Jesus says there's great reward in trusting God by leaving things behind, by kind of loosening our attachments to things in this world and committing to him First and foremost, we've been singing it this morning, haven't we? Above all wonders, above all wealth, above all treasures of the earth. Above all, Jesus, committing our lives to him, following him, putting him first. Above all wonders of the earth, above all treasures, above all uh, wealth um, of earth. And committing ourselves to him, above all. Jesus says it like this in Mark 10. Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left 
uh, house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. He says there's great reward for putting him first, committing ourselves to him first, holding tightly to him and holding loosely to everything else in this temporary earthly life that we're living. To know that life is a tent, we can leave things behind, abandon our attachments to things like family, to homes, to friendships, to possessions, to earnings, to respect, to comfort, so that we can both physically and emotionally put the Lord Jesus first and all other things come second to our call to follow him so that we're willing to sacrifice everything and anything in order to do the thing that he calls us to just as Abraham left everything loosened his attachment to everything in life no matter how great it was in order to live temporarily in a tent so Uh, When you're camping, I wonder if you hold on to the home comforts too tightly. (laughs) That could be the thing that dampens the enjoyment of camping, can't it? If you spend your whole time camping, uh, possibly from personal experience, thinking that sofa at home is so wonderfully more comfortable than this chair, which is kind of like semi-broken. Because we didn't, we got a second-hand one, we didn't buy a proper one. You're kind of like, you know, it's digging into your thighs. You don't get that, but if you're a larger man like me, you'll know that camping chairs are not all that comfortable always. If you spend your whole time thinking, oh, you know, washing up, we've got a dishwasher at home, and here I am, walking half a mile to the nearest place to wash up, and then walking back, and then one of the kids goes, and I need the toilet, Dad. Cool. Off we go to the toilet and back. And the other child says, Dad, I need the toilet as well, and off to the toilet you go. And at some point, you start to think, I really miss the uh, home comforts and it can start to dampen and ruin the joy of camping we don't tend to think like that anymore but similarly if we hold on too tightly to the home comforts of this earthly life it can dampen and ruin our joy in our heavenly home that's coming and in the joy of living the tent life with the lord so what things do we hold on to too tightly in this life or to put it another way what couldn't you imagine living without what couldn't you imagine possibly living without and if there's any answer other than Jesus and nothing else then we're holding on to something too tightly and we need to let loose of it so that we're putting the Lord first and foremost above all that's the first thing we learn from Abraham. We know that life is a tent. The second thing is that we wait for home. One of the reasons that uh, Jess managed to persuade me of the validity of going camping on our honeymoon was that uh, we were not going to camp forever. We were going to return after three weeks of traveling around Europe, seeing some wonderful places, and we would return home to the barn that we'd started renting, which was a beautiful place to live. And I thought, great, well, we're coming back to this. It's only three weeks. And I managed to negotiate the middle week being in a kind of chalet thing. 
in Croatia that had aircon. I was like, brilliant. Those two things helped me kind of adjust to the possibility of doing it and kind of eased the potential difficulty. And Abraham's kind of the same. He's got his sights set on permanence. Just like when I'm camping around Europe, I'm thinking, don't worry, the barn's coming soon, and that'll permanently have a sofa in it. And so Abraham, at the same time, is looking forward to what the city with foundations, to the city, the future city of God. Canaan, for Abraham in a tent, was never going to be home, because heaven was. Canaan was never going to be home for Abraham, because heaven was He was awaiting God's permanent heavenly home and looking forward to that. It's good for us, isn't it, to to work for the transformation of the places that we live, to want Beckles, Bungie, Halesworth, the communities around us to be transformed, uh, to seek its welfare. And it's okay for us to enjoy the good things that God has generously given us in life, our homes, possessions, and so on. Um, But it's always remembering that Jesus is establishing a new city, a new Jerusalem. And we work for the transformation of our earthly places that we live. But with Abraham, we look forward to the city that has foundations, our eternal home in the city of God, the new Jerusalem. I love Beckles, I love Bungie, I love Ship Meadow, which is the village we live in. But it isn't quite a touch on the new Jerusalem. I wonder, uh, let me read you this, um, out of this book. Um, he talks about this, I found it helpful. He says, I love living in, let's say, Beckles, the best town in the world by far. He doesn't write that. He says London, but it's probably a typo. But it's not, (laughs) it's not a patch on the heavenly Jerusalem. Have you read the brochure for the heavenly Jerusalem in Revelation 21 and 22? More beautiful than Prague, more amazing than Mumbai, more exciting than New York, more relaxing than Sydney, more fun than Rio, and more multicultural than London. The heavenly Jerusalem is where our God dwells in untainted, beautiful holiness, where we shall enjoy and celebrate Jesus in a more electric atmosphere than the spine-tingling roars of a Premier League football match at Carrow Road. Uh, I ad-libbed. And with more, <laughs> and with more irrepressible happiness than singing along at a Coldplay concert in the Principality Stadium in Cardiff. That's, that's our home. That's where we belong. That's the city, future city of God. And the brochure that we see in Scripture reads much better than any brochure you could ever write about even wonderful places like Beckles and Bungie and so on. Uh, Peter writes similarly like this in 2 Peter 3. He says... But the day of the Lord, he's talking about the time when Jesus is going to return and come back to us. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? He says this, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, waiting for the day when Jesus returns, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we're waiting for the new heavens 
and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's the Christian life. Living by faith, I set on home, waiting for home. Looking forward to the day when Jesus returns and takes us home with him. Are you looking forward to that day? Are you looking forward to that day? Do you have your eyes set on the fact that he's going to return for you one day? You need that. If you're going to live a tent life, you need the prospect of the permanent home upcoming. Otherwise, it makes it a real drag. We're in a bit of a microwave generation, aren't we? Uh, We like to do things quickly. If you want dinner, shove it in the microwave. Two or three minutes or whatever later, the meal is cooked. And it's tempting to kind of operate like that with God's blessings, isn't it? To kind of think that God's blessings will arrive um, quickly, that fulfillment of promises will kind of follow hard on the heels of our obedience. That, like Abraham, we'd, we'd obey God and go, and then blessing will quickly follow. Um, but Abraham was promised land, wasn't he, in that passage we read? And uh, when he died, he did actually own some land. He owned a small bit of land. It was a burial site where he buried his wife, Sarah. Other than that, he didn't own any land at all. And he was still living in a tent. God's blessing to him and his family was post-dated. And we can enjoy God's good gifts to us here on earth, but they aren't the goal that we're waiting for. We're waiting for something much greater that's coming in time. But the blessings of God don't always follow hard on the heels of our obedience. Abraham died still waiting to inherit some of the promises that God gave to him. So don't fret about promotion at work. You've got promotion to glory coming up. Don't worry about whether you're invited to the party or not. You've been invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Don't worry about whether your name is going to go down in history. Your name is in the book of life. You can endure whatever here if you keep your eyes set on God's permanent home for us. And the third thing we learn from Abraham is this. Trust God's impossible promises. Abraham was promised that through his descendants, the families of the earth would be blessed and that his descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky. So just to put in perspective what God has said to Abraham, just think about Abraham's context at the time. Abraham is old. Um, He's... Definitely, he's at least in his 60s. By the time he leaves, he's 75, and he hasn't had any children at that point. And as we find out later on, um, it's much, much later. Um, I think Sarah's in her 90s, isn't she, when she has uh, Isaac, and the promises start to uh, be birthed, as it were. And so God promises this through your descendants. The families of the earth are going to be blessed at six, in his 60s. He's childless. His wife is older than him. She's probably in her 70s, and they're infertile. In fact, Hebrews describes their situation or describes Abraham as as good as dead. <laughs> That's his prospects. That's Hebrew summary of, of, of Abraham at that time. He was as good as dead. And God spoke these promises to him. 
Hudson Taylor wrote this once, I have found that there are three stages in every great work of God. First, it's impossible, then it is difficult, and then it is done. And uh, often we, we say to God, don't we, that um, we need more clarity. Just to, God, if you just a bit more clarity about what it is that you're saying to us, when that might happen, for example, when, when is that promise going to be fulfilled? When is the situation going to change? Perhaps we ask him for more resources. We can, by faith, do what you're calling us to do, but we, we could do with this, and we could do with that, and we could do with this. Um, and sometimes our following God can be a little bit like this. I saw a photo some time back, and it was of an icy lake. You know, obviously, with an icy lake, you tread carefully, don't you? Because you don't know if it's going to take your weight or not. But this picture clearly showed that the depth of the ice was frozen to, like, metres beneath the surface. And then on top of the surface, this uh, person was crawling across the icy lake, like, being really, really careful that it might crack at any moment. And you can clearly see in the picture, the ice is going to hold you. Don't worry about it. It's fine. But this person is kind of gingerly crawling their way across the ice. And we can sometimes be like that in our faith with God. We can be quite gingerly and kind of... And God wants us to confidently stride across the lake, knowing that the ice goes to an incredible depth that can hold our weight. No problem. He wants us to trust in, the, trust in him. It says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, doesn't it? For all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. In Jesus, we need to remember that the promises of God to us are gain, not loss. They are home, not wandering. They are eternity, not temporary. And they're blessing, not infertility or barrenness. So will we believe God for the growth of our family here as much as Abraham, old and childless, infertile, etc., believed God for descendants as many as the stars? Will we trust God that he'll bless the families of Beckles and beyond through us? That's what he's asking us to trust him for. Maybe you're thinking in your mind, what, what qualifies us for the task? What do you need to be? What kind of person do you need to be in order to live that kind of life like Abraham did and be an ordinary person but do great things to God, for God? What kind of person do you need to be? Well, a bit of background about uh, Abraham. Abraham uh, was likely a moon worshipper. That was the religion of his day, worshipped the moon. He had married his half-sister. Sarah was his half-sister, so he's incestuous. Um, his instinct, as we see throughout his story, is to lie and deceive. He goes from town to town saying, this isn't my wife, she's my sister, which actually is technically true because it is his half-sister. But in order that people uh, will treat him well because she's beautiful and he's worried, his instinct was to lie and deceive to try and cover up situations. He was a self-sufficient man. He is childless, he's infertile, he's not even the firstborn inheritor, which to us these days is not a big deal. But in those days... The firstborn was the one to receive the inheritance. He's not even the firstborn. There's really not much going for him. But Abraham does have two things going for him. The first is he's a descendant of Noah, which means he's a descendant of the family of grace. God's promises to Noah. He's a descendant of Noah, and they're on Abraham as well. He's part of the family of grace, and God has appeared to him. 
It says in the, that passage, God appeared to him. And it, as it says in, Stephen says in Acts 7, that the God of glory appeared to him. So that's what he's got going for him. He's a part of the family of grace, and God has appeared to him. Which he didn't do, God did for him, just turned up. And secondly, the thing going for him is he was a man of faith who trusted God and obeyed. And in fact, those, if you're a Christian here today, those two things are going for you too. Because one, if you're a follower of Jesus, God has appeared to you, hasn't he? That moment where he revealed himself to you, you realised Jesus is who he says he is. And he does command my whole life. And you started following him. The God of grace appeared to you. You're included in his family of grace, just like Abraham. And second, he's gifted you with faith. It's not something you have to generate within yourself, but he's given it to you. Faith is a gift from God. If you feel useless, inadequate, and weak when it comes to following God and living by faith, then remember the story of Abraham. Because Abraham was, uh, has shown us that usefulness begins with God, doesn't it? Usefulness begins with God, not with us and our abilities. The second thing, your inadequacy brings our adequate God more glory. When God achieves things through people who are inadequate, it reveals how adequate and sufficient he is. And thirdly, our weakness reveals God's strength. We're weak people, jars of clay, and when we do great things for God as ordinary people, it reveals his strength. God is looking for Abrahams. He's looking for nobodies who are as good as dead, with very few prospects, who just simply believe him, trust him, and obey him. Um, in this story, one of the things that God does is he promises him descendants as many as the stars. And so God leaves in the sky, as it were, reminders of his promises. So every time nightfall comes, Abraham looks up and he has a physical reminder of the promises of God um, for him. And it made me think, what are the, how do we remind ourselves of God's promises ourselves? Uh, we might not look at the stars, but we do have the scriptures, don't we? They remind us of the promises of God to us. Um, Cheryl helpfully brought this in for me. Um, this is in my in-law's bathroom. So if you're ever on the John, you can remind yourself <laughs> of the promises of God's blessings. Now, that's not my, where you might place it, but something like this. Um, it's a calendar. It's got one of those kind of one for each date of the, of the year. Just reminding you of the promises of God. Having something like that to hand where you can regularly remind yourself of the promises of God to you so that you can hold on to him is a good thing to do. We're going to worship in a sec, just uh, coming into land uh, now. Chris started off this morning by talking about a prophetic word that was shared a long time ago about stepping stones and that how we don't all have it first. And that's true of Abraham's story, isn't it? in that he doesn't even know where he's going. <laughs> when God says to him, go, uh, he doesn't know where he's going. He, he hasn't got a clue. Um, and you can imagine the conversation with his uh, neighbours. Let me read you this. Um, 
this author imagines that conversation. He says, can you imagine the extraordinary conversation back in Ur when their bewildered neighbors dropped around to ask the old man, Terah, why he and his household were moving? Terah, why are you leaving? Sorry, I don't know. Well, who told you to go? Abraham says the God of glory appeared to him and told him we must go. Well, where are you going? I'm sorry, so sorry. We don't know that either. We're just leaving. Can you imagine the looks of people when they responded in that way and described what they were doing? And we see this kind of crazy-looking faith in the New Testament too, don't we? Jesus calls to Peter and Andrew and says, come follow me. And it says, they left their nets and followed him. Abraham didn't demand to know what the land looked like. He said, just go. This is my promise to you. And he ups and goes. He doesn't go, just a bit more information would be really helpful. What does that land look like? Rough acreage? Um, What type of land? Uh, You know, is it flowing with milk and honey, as we later find out? Or is it, you know, a bit barren, a bit thorny, difficult to harvest, and so on? He doesn't kind of ask him, just rough time scale for this project? How long is it till we arrive there? Um, just just imagining, Lord, the conversations I might have with my neighbours uh, and when we tell them that we're going, just some more helpful info might help me not look so stupid. And uh, that's the kind of conversation you can imagine we might sometimes have with God when he tells us to go and we don't quite know what that looks like. But Abraham didn't demand to know what the land looked like, where it was, how to get there. He just went. When Peter calls, um, sorry, when Jesus calls Peter and Andrew, they don't ask him, so where's that? <laughs> Where are we going? How are you going to look after us, etc.? They just go with him. Faith is not demanding to know what life, uh, what lies ahead. It's not reducing all the risk. It's not having all your ducks lined up in a row before trusting God and taking action. If you wait till you've got everything sorted before you take a step, is it even faith at all? Faith is God says go, and we go. And then we find out the answers to all the questions that are in our mind as we take the steps of faith that we take. The opposition of faith, opposite of faith, is anxiety about the future, trying to control our circumstances, protect ourselves, guard against all eventualities. Trusting God means worrying less and taking more risks for him. So what risks is God asking of you? He's saying, set off without knowing where you're going, and follow me by faith.